everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Eliza Kelly, and I am here today with somebody who is very near and dear to my heart, despite the fact that after so many years being connected, we have actually never met in person, one. And two, as we're recording this, we also have, we're, we're connecting on video as well. So this is the first time that we are face-to-face somehow, which is, I think you guys will also come to realize is kind of bonkers, uh, all things considered. But it's Amelia Quint, an amazing astrologer, the host of Bad Astrologers podcast, and Bumble's resident astrologer. Amelia, <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. I'm so excited. Hi, Eliza. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that you were willing to come on this podcast and catch up with me. It's been 3,000 years since the last time we, we really like chatted about anything. The backstory here is that Many, many, many years ago, in a time before Trump was president, I was working on an app called Align. And at the very end of that journey with my co-founder, we decided to restructure the entire business. And we were in the process of developing. And I actually, I still think it's such a fucking good idea that I, I don't even want to I'm not even going to say what the idea was, because I still feel like we have, even though we have no legal IP, I feel like Helen and I still have energetic IP on that. So (laughs) so we had this idea and we were connecting with astrologers in different cities, but specifically astrologers who were based on the East Coast to get together and start something. And that is how I connected with Amelia. And I think it was either, it was like 2015 or early 2016, but it was definitely before the election. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And that was really, and you know, Amelia was an amazing astrologer then as she is now, but was so instrumental and so like down, you know, you're Sag rising, you were like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, want to go to Miami? We'll go to fucking Miami. Like, we'll do it. Like (laughs) you were so, it was such a joy getting to work with you and figure out how we could work together. And we, and then it all kind of exploded. And unfortunately we were never able to actualize the things that we had been planning, which was very heartbreaking for lots of different reasons. But in the context of this conversation, we didn't, we weren't able to work together. <laughs> and that was that. Um, so this is the first time that we are connecting again since that time, which is just kind of wild. It really is. It feels like it was both eons ago and yesterday. Um, but I, the double retrograde happening right now with Mercury and Mars, it feels like the perfect time to actually connect, right? Well, I think that that was what was happening in uh, 2016, too. Really? Oh. Yeah, which is part of the, How cool. part of, part of the terror of this year. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yes, we also we had we had some tremendous retrograde energy happening in 2016, along with a new, you know, the Leo Aquarius eclipse cycle was just starting as the Virgo Pisces was ending. Winding down. Yeah, man, a long uh, eons and yesterday uh, agreed on that. But Amelia, for those who are just getting to know you, can you tell us a little bit about 
who you are, what you do, and how you came into this this astrology space. And I can attest quite a number of years ago. Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, I was thinking about, I knew this question would come up and it's it's interesting because I'm usually the one asking it. And when I turned it on myself, I thought I I really don't know um, because it feels like in a strange way. And this could be my Pisces in the fourth house where your memories all just merge together, um, especially relating to spiritual things. But it really feels like for me, astrology has been something that was always in the background, always there. I was a very not spooky because I was still very, I don't know, femme and girly and, you know, into the usual child things. But maybe Sailor Moon was my first entry point into that as it was for all of us, a lot of us at least. But yeah, um, astrology kind of found me. It's so interesting to me that so many people now seek it out, but it was something that I was always interested in the occult. I'm a Scorpio. Even during times when I, um, I came from a more conservative and religious background, but the the sensitivity was always there. And I guess the story is I worked at Barnes and Noble in a past life many, many, many years ago. And I happened to be in the occult section. A when, human past life? A human none. <laughs> yeah. Like a, a like, past life that of your of of the of your conscious. <laughs> I really of my conscious being. Yeah. Like, I, lo- um, I love that I was that probably, was your past like, life regression of like Amelia, I mean what were you in a different <laughs> life? And you're like, I worked at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> in my last life. I think about that with like past life regressions. Everybody <laughs> used to be someone really cool, like royalty or like a pirate or I don't know, something really interesting. And like, I bet we were all just like baristas. Maybe we <laughs> were the barista for like Hemingway in Paris. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, um, when I did work at Barnes & Noble, I came across a copy of Parker's Astrology. Oh my God, that's the book that got me into it. Really? Yes. Oh my God. So many people just had that Parker's astrology moment. It was in the bargain bin for $10. I was really broke at the time, but I was like, okay, $10. I've always wanted to learn this. I'm going to grab it. And and from there, it was just kind of like this vortex that took off in this amazing way. I started testing it out on all my friends. For those of you that don't know, Parker's astrology is this... Um, it's more of a tome than a book. It's gigantic. I think they just re-released it. It's the only book that I recommend to people. And I know that it's out of print, but it's, you know, sometimes it'll come up on like reused book sites. And yeah. I refuse to recommend any other intro book because it's, I mean, I guess maybe I'm biased because I love it. <laughs> and that's how it's like, that's how it consolidated it all for me. But I do feel like there are some books, and this is not with the intention of like shade, but some books that have the title of like everything you need to know about astrology is not everything you need to know about astrology, and they're very deceptive. Whereas Parker's is Mm -hmm. really fucking comprehensive. It truly is. It's something, it's actually a book that I I recommend it for beginner students, like people who really want to learn astrology, but I actually don't recommend it to like casual friends who are like, I'm interested in astrology, what's this about? Because it is so overwhelming. And if you aren't a weirdo Saj Rising like me, who just like drinks knowledge for like a smoothie for breakfast, <laughs> it can be really overwhelming. But it is a beautiful book. Um, and it has everything from the signs to midpoints. 
So you're covering a hell of a lot of ground. Um, and I was just, you know, sometimes the universe, you have those moments, you're just in the right place at the right time. And one of my regulars in the cafe also happens to be a local astrology teacher. And so it came up in conversation that I was learning this. And this person offered to take me on as a student um, in South Carolina, of all places. It's not the most astrology friendly place. So yeah, the universe reached out and took my hand and I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. The teacher appeared and, and before I knew it, um, people liked getting readings like for fun and people started asking, do you want to, you know, can I pay you for this or can I recommend you to a friend? And it took off from there, but it felt really lonely. And it was also something where I don't know if other people have experienced this. There was a time before astrology memes that astrology was not always well liked and it could influence your professional reputation if people you know, you knew that you were interested in that, especially in the Bible Belt. And so as people started to find out that I was an astrologer, I'm doing air quotes right now, I wanted to take control of that narrative. And I also, I was tired of being lonely. So I got a WordPress site and a Twitter account and, called The Midheaven. And I started uh, just, just writing things for fun. Um, I moved not too long ago. I'm looking down at a gigantic box of all the old writings and, and such. And yeah, it just grew from there. And from, from that account, it, it grew in ways I never expected. And I met wonderful people like, um, the tarot lady who was recently on your podcast, Teresa, she's amazing, an instrumental mentor in my life and other teachers, as well as other wonderful astrologers like yourself and, and too many others to count. And I realized that I wasn't not only was I not alone, but that so many other people found meaning and value in this practice. And, and I began to learn from them, too. And then after that, I guess the next jump was in a 2015, 2016, where I happened to run into uh, Gabriella Hurstick locally, um, who is now the uh, high priestess of, of modern witchcraft, I would say, who's written prolifically on the topic. And we had the same hairstylist, met, hit it off. We're both writing for the Numinous at the time. And she got an offer from Nylon to write about um, how to be a modern witch, I think was the article. And I was featured in it as an astrologer. And that was really a moment in my career that was just crazy. It was so wild. I never expected anything like that. And from there, it just grew. I had the opportunity to write for a lot of um, fashion and beauty publications. And I guess what would be called, and I hate it. I think it's gross, like women's media. I think everybody can enjoy beauty and fashion. But that's my Venus on the Midheaven talking. And then from there, I've gone down so many roads. I don't even know where where to go next. But um, it was really, really neat that the universe kind of connected us years ago. Yeah. Yes. I think that I probably was connected to you through Annabelle back in. Oh, wow. 20, I think it was 2015. End I of 2015. Yeah. Annabelle was our resident astrologer. And when we decided to start working on this other version of a line, she introduced me to you and Ashley Otero and a few other people who I'm still connected to. All wonderful people. Wow. I think a, an interesting aspect of the story for the astrology nerds is um, 
just the the personal astrology that I was going through, and I know some astrology that you were going through. When we first connected, I believe in 2015, I was having like a massive Jupiter moment um, with Jupiter crossing over my midheaven. Was Jupiter in Virgo at that time? Jupiter was in Virgo, I think. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, um, Jupiter moved out of Virgo. <laughs> and I started my, my Saturn return and Saturn on my mid, uh, Saturn on my ascendant. And so I think it just shows the difference in, in vibe of those transits totally. and also the cyclical nature of things. It went from a big, you know, if you hopefully have a, a long career doing what you love, you'll have ups and you'll have downs and you'll have things that you're passionate about and people that you adore that the universe is just like, hmm. Ain't time right now. You need to focus on something else. And then it might come around years later when you're totally not expecting. Yes, so. yes. I I recently just celebrated my first Saturn square as an astrologer. And Ooh. so it's been now seven years of astrology, you know, not um, exclusively. I haven't been full-time as an astrologer for all of those seven years, that's a that's a smaller duration. But from starting to work in astrology or starting to, well, I guess technically, yes, yeah, starting to work in astrology, but not as an astrologer, but as as an as an astrology enthusiast. From then ter- becoming my an astrologer myself to now that being you know my everything, my whole world. That is my a full Saturn square. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Which feels really stupendous, you know? It's like, yeah. wow, like we did it. We did a quarter of that. We even got my Saturn return in there. <laughs> like that's, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. So what was the year that you, like when did um, you first start studying and when did you find that Parker's book? Like what year was that? 2011. Holy fuck. So it's going to be a decade. I, yeah. It's kind of, I'm going on my... Uh, 10-year astrology birthday, I guess. Um, and then you're going to have a full Jupiter orbit yeah. soon, too. Oh, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. So uh, I wonder, I, I feel like for me, it's been Neptune and Pisces. And for so many of us, that started in, what, 2012? And just kind of riding that wave, the surfing the mystical ocean um, in ways that I never expected. But yeah, yeah, 2011 was when it really began yeah um oh and i started the i started the blog and i i got on i became an internet person in 2013 when i was having a jupiter return amazing i love these transits so much and especially i mean for you in particular talking about jupiter is so important since you're a sad rising and jupiter is obviously has like such a influence on your life and what it's doing and where and how who it's hanging out with i mean what do you think about 2020 Jupiter? What? How <laughs> Jupiter is hanging out <laughs> with a tough crowd? That's such a good question. And it's something that I've been thinking about a ton. Um, and probably just because I am a Sag rising, but because I, I have a soft spot for Jupiter. He's not a panacea. He's not going to come in and fix all your problems as 2020 has shown. But I think that he can come in and kind of point you in the right direction, or at the very least, a direction that's going to be more beneficial to you down the road. And I think with Jupiter in Capricorn, um, which is not a place where he's super happy being, <laughs> um, and and with Saturn, I think there is a sense of restriction and delayed gratification. It's interesting to me because there's 
dare I say, good Jupiter aspects happening this year, depending on how you swing it. You know, we've had that really lovely Jupiter and Capricorn sextile Neptune and Pisces three times this year, which just finished, what, two days ago? Yeah. And that I think there has been this very subtle in the background. You know, I think of if trines are like a door just being swung wide open like a portal and you just get like pushed to the other side, who knows what's over there? It could be good, could be bad. Then sextiles are more of that gentle push from the universe um, where you just kind of, you land in the right inboxes at the right time and you go to the right cafe at the right time or you just so happen to meet the right person and, and it makes you kind of raise your eyebrow and go, huh, that was, that was interesting, I wonder. But that was all about, you know, it's less in your face, but it's very much there. And as a Jupiter ruled person this year, as difficult as the year has been, and I've been uh, very lucky, very blessed to avoid many of the hardships that so many people have gone through. It has been, you know, just these unexpected and simple alignments of, you know, having the quarantine gave time to focus on big writing projects and making bad astrologers something bigger than I thought it could be. But that is not to say that it's it's easy by any means. Um, you know, Jupiter traveling with Pluto, those Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions, I've seen like every, in my clients, I've seen every manifestation. So just like exaggeration of existing uh, difficulty or transformation, which if you're not ready for it, feels like, I don't know, everything's burning down around you to like, honestly, big VIP power player moves. And so, yeah, I think with anything, Jupiter in this year is a great time to look at it with, as more of a neutral, right? Because 2020 has shown us that, yeah, it's, it's not going to fix your problems, but it can show you areas where you can accelerate despite all of the odds, right? Yeah. So a couple more months of Jupiter and Capricorn everybody go look, see what you can still do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that Jupiter in, I natally have Jupiter in Cancer. So Jupiter, oh, yeah. So exalted, super sixth Jupiter. house. Yeah. Lo, right. Like mama Jupiter, a really interesting vibration of Jupiter, I think, because I see, well, I have personified Jupiter. I mean, I can tell you so clearly what Jupiter looks like to me. I could even tell you like what underwear Jupiter has on, you know, like. Ju I am obsessed with this. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Jupiter is, I would say if we, like just to set the scene, Antonio or Benicio del Toro in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as the sort of look, but then the details are different. We, a little older, less hair, to me, this is in my, this is Jupiter in my okay, mind. in your vision. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt. So that's the same as Benicio Del Toro in Fear and Loathing. Gold chains, hairy chest in Las Vegas. And is like, but like also Louis Vuitton luggage, like gold rings, like really decked the fuck out. Like, you know that this Jupiter comes through and wins big. Always has mm -hmm. trophy women behind him as he's like playing the slots. An energy that you want, like that is infectious and you want to be, you want to sort of like a, a huge caricature, you know, like you want to sort of like mm -hmm. you're watching because you're like, oh my God, like who is this? How did they get so lucky at casino? Like how is this person like just such a vibrant, dynamic energy? But then every now and then, you know, when 
things are not going in their favor also has like maybe have one too many free margaritas, like gets a bad mm-hmm. temper, you know, doesn't understand why they're not winning and then gets tapped on the shoulder. And it's like, Jupiter, you got to, I think you've had enough for the night. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think it's time for you to go back to your room. And I think that the person tapping Jupiter on the shoulder is Saturn who runs the casino and is like kind of mob boss, you know, like slick suit Tony style. Tony Soprano. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I mean, I, they, these are, everything is so personified to me. So Ju- <laughs> so Saturn, but in this year, it's like Saturn really tapped. Like Saturn is like, Jupiter, I'm going to need you to come to the office. You've been making too much money and we've been losing money because of your playing antics. So I also need you to meet someone else. This is my, this is my friend Pluto. And Pluto is like, ah, like you don't want to have to, you don't want to go into the office and have like both Saturn and Pluto there and your drunk Jupiter, you know? Uh huh. And, and like have to take accountability for yourself and have to be in there like, so did you cheat on this? And Jupiter's like, I don't know. Like I was feeling yeah, myself. I'm too drunk to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was having fun. Like I don't, I didn't intentionally do anything wrong. But now Jupiter is like stuck in some scary back room in some scary casino with, Saturn and Pluto. And that's, that's my 2020. (laughs) (laughs) I love this 2020 analogy. And (laughs) I totally agree. I think that's a wonderful Jupiter, um, not manifestation, characterization. There you go. And I'm forever now going to think of Saturn as Tony Soprano. Yeah. You know, committed family guy even though he has so many issues so many issues but like um, also needs the pleasure of jupiter and like is building businesses mm-hmm. not for him to enjoy but for others to enjoy but like at the end of the day it's like it comes down to those PL statements you know like if i can't mm-hmm. have jupiter like fucking up my business you know i feel like jupiter is like in an interrogation room right now and like <laughs> and Jupiter's like, I don't even know what I did. I was just trying to have a good time. Let me relax. Yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to Jupiter and Aquarius. Oh, the Jupiter image when you were like describing like Benicio del Toro and the Hawaiian shirt, the image that popped into my mind was actually this is such a fraught movie now, but um Fight Club with Brad Pitt, who is a Sagittarius rising with like the floral pattern shirt yes. and the leather jacket. And he's like super fit. I feel like that's a big Sagittarius rising. Yes, for look. sure. And he is a Sag son too, right? Brad Pitt. Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Double Sag. Double Sag. So maybe Jupiter is Brad Pitt. Hot. Love it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and Angelina Jolie is a Gemini. So like, I don't know. I feel like there's that. I feel like that could check out <laughs> in, in modern so day astrology. So what you're telling me is astrology is real. Yeah, Good. exactly. I think that. <laughs> well, I think skeptics, you, you heard it here first. <laughs> Pretty clear. So let's talk about your podcast. Let's talk about the Bad Astrologers podcast. How did that begin? What is it all about? Share everything. (laughs) Spill. (laughs) (laughs) The podcast is another one of those things that took a lot more time to start than I was anticipating. I think it was waiting, waiting for the right time to be cosmically born because 
I had the idea um, years ago and I think I invited you to be on. I was like, I'm thinking of doing a podcast and would you be interested in it? Well, if the invitation still stands, the answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. So yes, We we should totally do that. But it ended up being born during uh, Jupiter and Sagittarius, which is a great year for me um, since it's in my first house. But yeah, basically it was that I love talking to people and I had made so many amazing um, friends and connections with these like incredible astrologers. And I just wanted to share their stories and share their their practices, but through a different lens, you know. Bad astrologers, every podcast I interview the person through the lens of their natal chart. And so it's kind of a look at how astrologers talk to each other through that uh, symbolic language of astrology and also how you're just kind of both dunking on and building one another up through this uh, discussion of where you fit into the cosmos. That's so Scorpio of you. (laughs) It's so Scorpio. And I swear it's not, it's never anything like, Oh, I gotta know the birth time, da da da. So first, but it has become that over time. I do have a wish list of people who I'm like, I need their birth time, and so I want to talk to you. <laughs> I, oh my god, it's it. This is just like Scorpio at its peak right now. Of like, I'm gonna get you on the show. I'm gonna get your birth information. We're gonna have a conversation for you about your chart, and then I collect it. <laughs> I get the data. <laughs> I feel like I also have um, Gemini Moon in the seventh house, so it's very. Oh um, yeah, that's so perfect. Loving to talk to people and investigate them, and when it's in like day to day life, people think that's pretty weird. They're like, "Why does this girl talk so much?" Um, but when it's on a podcast, people are like, "Oh, thank you for asking so many good questions." And I think. You know, as people go on their own astrology journey, or if you're someone who maybe wants to write about astrology or be an astrologer, it was definitely a lesson in learning how to find the medium that feels really good to you. Um, I had done a little bit of everything, but I never, I never felt like a, I was never good at social media astrology. Maybe it sounded in the first house, not really sure, but it just never connected for me. But being able, and, you know, writing, if you're a writer professionally, you're already producing however many zillion words a day, a month. Um, and so it wasn't really sustainable to add another writing project, but a joyful way to just chat with really interesting people has been so much fun. And it's also been, you know, I, you've seen since we've gone on this journey together over the last five years, I feel like astrology for better or for worse, kind of like split into two, almost like factions or camps or houses. There is the meme astrology, which I love a good astrology meme. I follow lots of meme accounts. And then the very hardcore, very historical, which is good. And I think that we need that integrity and research to come through. But for people who maybe wanted to take their practice to the next level or dive deeper or really like understand what the houses were at all, for example, there wasn't a, a friendly um, place for them to go and have a good time and feel like they were getting information that was like beautiful and accurate and all of that. So that's the ethos behind it. <laughs> I, I think that you're so right. I, astrology over the past five years has been fascinating. And to watch the evolution, I mean, you know, I, I feel like in 2020, I started really leaning into that like, told you so attitude of things, but it was, and for some people, and a lot of it was about like, because I was 
moving into 2020 being like, this is going to be a fucked up year. And then like when so many of the things that I had written about or said were like coming Mm -hmm. into fruition, I really leaned into the opportunity to say, told you so, because I'm a Capricorn rising and I can't help myself. But really, Uh. (laughs) it's much deeper than that. If I could say it's a bigger I told you so. It's It's an I told you so that stems all the way back from 2014 when I would go to investors who are investing in new apps and say like astrology is going to explode and they'd be like, really? Like, I don't know about that. So this it's the told you so that we're seeing (laughs) that I'm doing right now is like (laughs) is only like the tip of the iceberg for a much bigger I told you so, which might probably actually predates anything astrology. It's like a Capricorn rising, just like should have listened, like (laughs) should know better. But I think that it's been interesting to see, especially with the Pluto Sag generation, that you're right, like this, the fracture of like it being so memefied and so mimetic and so much simulacra to mm-hmm. traditional Hellenistic and like I just absolutely adore Chris Brennan, um, but the the teens have gone so wild with it and they need rules right now you know they need there's no yeah. there's hor- there's no leadership it's a fucked up time and as humans we want guidelines and we want things to follow so it makes sense that we have like hellenistic and horary astrology and all of these practices that are so stringent coming through yes. as part of the it, which are very different from sort of like the evolutionary astrology of the 90s. Oh, yeah. And, I, and in a lot of ways, I think what my astrology lineage is based on, which is like, you know, there are rules, but it's not Hellenistic style rules. You know, it's not like, right. it's not rules where you're going to get your hand chopped off if you get it wrong kind of rules, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not going to like lock you in the keep or anything. <laughs> right. But if you're, but if we're wrong, fucking with right. astrology that, that that's that old, like, yeah, of course, like it was brutal then. Of course, there's going to be rules like that. <laughs> Absolutely. I was thinking about how so many of the, it, and it's been interesting to see, um, I feel like Hellenistic astrology really found its voice and like became huge during the Saturn and Capricorn moment, which is like so dominant and focused on history and being grounded in the facts. And I feel like it is a good expression of that. And I think we're seeing the folks who have that natally, who've gone through a Saturn return and then the Saturn and Aquarius folks who are like entering into that, just finding a lot of meaning in it because it is more um, regimented and it's it's telling you like this is this is the way and and maybe with the Saturn and Aquarius, I'm hoping it can be a, a yes and you know totally like, totally yes this is and how we can put it together. Like I've been researching a little bit of um, I love zodiacal releasing and annual perfections. And I've been adding things that I use in my practice. Like I've been doing it with the outer planets and doing it with the four main asteroids and like seeing how that works. I definitely don't have enough research yet to like publish anything on it. But I think like learning how to blend those techniques is so much, so much fun. And there's so much joy there. And obviously my Saj rising would say, you know, we should keep the joy and fun in astrology and learn how to mix it. So let's talk a little bit about asteroids. I don't work with them very often, but I love I love them. I love all the ladies. I feel like there we we need more lady representation in 
in astrology right now, you know, with the planets that I work with actively, I really am just hanging out with like the moon and Venus. And I love that the asteroids, I guess let me back up for a second. Whenever I am personally like pronouning a planet, it's more because I have these images in my head, like what I described of Jupiter. It's the sort of most direct way that I have found to help personify them. But obviously, planets have no genitalia whatsoever. They are completely without gender. But I do like that if there is going to be a traditional pronoun prescribed to the asteroids, that it is feminine. Because traditionally, it's mostly male. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're bringing up something that is so important in astrology, which is that, um, you know, I think I think about this way more than I should. It takes up lots of rent-free space in my mind is that I think a lot of the books that you and I probably came up on, they leaned hard into, um, for example, like, well, if you are a woman, then your Mars sign says what kind of men you want to be with. Far be it from anyone to think that uh, anything besides that could take right. place. So I, I feel like, you know, when we do like put pronouns on planets, it is, it's based in myth that, that is gendered. And in my practice, I usually think of it, we, we all contain aspects of the masculine and the feminine, and we may present more mask, or we may present more femme, depending on how we feel that day and who we want to be, how we want to express ourselves. And so you know, I think it can actually, understanding the genders of the planets that are, I guess, historically there, it can help you find those things within yourself, right? And it doesn't have to be binary and it doesn't have to be prescribed. It can be a, a playground. It can be an area of experimentation. And that is, that experimental nature is kind of where the asteroids came into my practice uh, because I did notice. I was like, wow, we're mostly hanging out with all dudes here. And there's so many wonderful goddesses and myth that are so important. And I felt like these, the four main asteroids that we're going to be referring to are Ceres, the grain goddess, uh, Athena, the warrior, um, Juno, queen of the heavens, and then Vesta, the, the sacred flame of Rome. They add just this depth to the chart that I haven't, haven't been able to find anywhere else. Uh, there's a, a sensitivity to them and they, they can be really revealing about really deep and profound um, emotional arcs in your life that you, you might be surprised by. But yeah, when I wrote um, a workbook long ago called Elemental Astrology, um, I played with a little bit of that. Instead of doing the hero's journey, I called it the heroine's journey and I pulled on those those asteroids. But yeah, I also, a lot of people have come to me because they know that I am obsessed with myths. I think tons of people who love astrology come to it by way of mythology. Ever since I was young, I've been obsessed with gods and goddesses. I can remember being, I don't know, maybe like eight years old. And I found this book on goddesses in the library. And Man, I took that out and I read all of it. I remember asking my mom, are goddesses real? Like, there's all these goddesses. Like, what is this about? And she's like, well, they're not real, but you shouldn't be thinking about that. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if they're not real, then why are you so worried about mm. it? Um, and I knew from a very young age that the, the divine feminine had had so much power. And that remains a part of my 
astrological and magical practice. I guess you could call me a witch. I've definitely done some magic in my time. But anyways, yeah, it's it's a nice way to balance the chart and to just dive deeper into archetypes that the planets don't necessarily offer. You know, Maya, uh, I don't know if this is because I don't r- really turn on the asteroids in my sessions. I, there were a few years where I did it, but because I didn't have the framework to figure out to really know what additional information I was getting from them, I would end up mm. sort of finding myself, I would know that there was, you know, there we had like a Juno conjunction or I'd know that we had like Athena at the midheaven, but I like didn't have the, I felt like I didn't have enough anecdotal or past learned experience in order for me to speak on it. So I would see it in the chart. I would know that the other, the client didn't necessarily see them as well, you know, but I would find myself being like, I, I, I want to interpret this, but I don't have the language to interpret this. So I feel like it's distracting me from the other things. So then I like just, I don't even print aspects on my, uh, like the lines on my charts because, yeah, because I like to just see them with my own eyes. Yeah, and with the numbers. Yes, and I do like, I'm impossible. I do like, you know, four degree orbs. So like, I don't, I'm not even going to pay attention to an aspect. Oh, I respect that. (laughs) I use a five degree orb. High five. (laughs) I am, someone the other day was like, I have a lot in, you know, like I have like my moon and my Jupiter and cancer or like something. And I was like, honey, like they don't even know each other. Like they don't even know the one the other exists. Like <laughs> one is her. one yeah. is at two degrees. The other is at 28. Like they have no idea that they're there. You know, like they're not working together, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like, I mean, like who comes up with this shit? It's I mean, it's really it's it's a lot of it is just, I guess, the years of figuring out like from your own anecdotal experience, like what catches and what doesn't. But suffice it to say, I have been turning on the asteroids while I'm practicing, not during my sessions. And I do feel now like I understand the way that they function a lot more. And I understand Mm -hmm. the nuance of these like very complicated archetypes. So maybe I will start putting incorporating them into some of my, my sessions. But if you were to like give some highlight keywords for the four different asteroids, what would you share about them? Ooh, okay. I love this question. And before I answer it, I want to mention one other thing about the asteroids, because you were saying, you know, these are complicated archetypes that it can be hard to find your way into. And I, I think part of that comes from the fact that historically, women in myth, we don't allow them to just be themselves. We don't allow ourselves to see them for who they are, you know, throughout the years, it, you know, we only allow certain, it's like a, like a prism and we only allow one color to come out the other end when there's really this like radiant rainbow there. So an example is I love the goddess Athena and in myth, we think of her as the warrior goddess. That's totally there. Read you your Homeric hymns and you'll see like she loves the deeds of battle and the cries of war and the sacking of cities and all that stuff. But she also, if you go and read the beautiful new translation of the Odyssey by Emily Wilson, first translation by a woman, you'll find that she is also a trickster goddess, right? So 
Odysseus is, is tricky because Athena facilitates that for him, you know, and we don't, the, actually the word, the epithet means deceiver. And it's also applied to um, Hermes and then of course applied to Lucifer um, in the Christian tradition. So, you know, there's a lot of obfuscation in, in the translations and, you know, it can be hard to understand archetypes that history hasn't allowed us to fully understand anyway. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think that a big, for me, I think a, a big breakthrough text what is the luminaries by Liz Green, which really is just a huge book of the sun and the moon. But in the first few pages, they show a diagram of the moon and it's basically like a little crescent moon and it has all of these arrows pointing to it of lunar gods and goddesses of all different cultural traditions. And there's like 40 and they're all true, yeah. you know, and it's like <laughs> the moon is not just like the nurturer. The moon is also like, I'm going to kill you. You know, like the moon is a protector. Yes, the moon absolutely. is a destroyer. The moon is. And I think that actually that diagram of seeing just like how many different lineages come with the moon allowed me to then reapproach the goddesses with a much more complicated and open-minded perspective. I love that. And now I'm definitely, I just got a Scrib subscription and I'm going to immediately after this download the luminaries and read it. So thank you for that. That's <laughs> yes, let me know what you think. Okay. So to your point about keywords, um, the most rapid fire I can, Ceres, obviously the goddess of the harvest, um, the mother goddess, mother of Persephone. Keywords that I see most associated with it are nourishment and nurturing. Um, so the nourishment can be like, your relationship to food, just feelings of being either depleted or nourished. Um, and then, of course, nurturing is family. It can be family trauma, um, inner child work, all of those things. And also the relationship you have with your body, right? The physical self and how, how you nourish that. So that's Ceres. Um, for Vesta, Eternal Flame of Rome, she's the, the creative spark. And so you see her... You know, her priestesses were the, the virgins and they had to, at least during their term, give up quite a lot. So with Vesta, you see themes of sexual devotion, um, sacrifice at times, um, sort of sublimating the sexual urge into the creative one. And, it, you know, I see it come up a lot for writers when they're like getting serious. It's like there's a novelist and they're like, okay, I have this deadline. I'm going to work on this. Like that's a very Vesta moment um, or making a spiritual practice for yourself. That's super Vesta. I, I have uh, Vesta at a very late degree Sagittarius in my 12th house. So that, that feels- I love that. That feels aligned. That's very beautiful. I have Vesta on my Mercury. So. Oh, cool. Writer, writer for life, right? As Pallas Athena, um, sometimes just referred to as Pallas. He is a trickier one to understand, which is why, why I brought up her trickster nature. But she has a lot to do with craftsmanship and skill. So you'll see her in the charts of people who, um, interestingly, I see her come up a lot with musical theater. I totally believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're hitting the stage multiple times a day, just like honing your craft all the time. She's also the, the strategist. Um, you know, before you can go into battle, you have to have a solid strategy. So you'll see her with political figures. Um, and of course, as a woman in a fighting role, you definitely see her with 
um, women who have taken on authority before their time. So, um, and sometimes with queer figures and feminist thinkers. I feel like this is giving me a lot of like Joan of Arc vibes. Yeah, I could totally see that. Now I gotta look up Joan yeah. of Arc's chart. I think we have, I think there is a chart that floats around that Ooh. has decent rating. I'm pretty sure. I might be totally making that up. That's it exciting. might be a dream, but it... <laughs> I <don't, laughs> I, that would be a cool dream. Yeah, my Pisces moon, I, I couldn't tell you for sure, but I I think that we might have a chart. I'm going to look it up. That'll be the Patreon-only content. That'll be great. <laughs> the last one, Juno, uh, queen of the heavens, wife of Jupiter. She gets kind of relegated to the castigating wife role a lot because her husband cheated on her, like, a lot. <laughs> You, you see her come up with people who, like queenly figures, people, women who carry themselves with a certain sort of poise and grace and authority. She does show up in the charts of feminist thinkers, so people who are, you know, trying to increase the station of women in the world. But I guess what she's most famous for is, uh, especially in sinistry, I feel like this is very Madonna horror and I don't love it, but she is associated with um, marriage and some people call it like the marriage versus mistress asteroid. But I think, you know, she can come up when you are looking to have a partnership that is more deeply fulfilling than just what society says. It's a true partnership, like a power couple moment. Um, when, you, when you're referring to an asteroid come up, what does that mean? Ooh, yeah. So for the these four, there's zillions of asteroids out there that I use a smaller orb for. For these, I'm looking at about three to five degrees. Smaller, the better. And when I say come up, I mean that the asteroid is making some sort of important aspect in your chart. I tend to look specifically for conjunctions and find them to be the most pronounced. But it can also become activated or come up if it makes some sort of like other aspect patterns. Like I've seen like if let's say it completes a grand trine in your chart, um, it completes a grand cross, something like that. But yeah, for these, you know, you can just look at, especially for these for the placement by sign and house, and that can be really powerful. And I use them that way. Um, but I, I tend to put people into different archetype categories, right? So if you had, uh, I don't know, like Vesta on your Mercury or Vesta on your rising, I would call you a Vesta person, right? Um, I think I talked about on Twitter once, like Tori Amos and Fiona Apple, both Vesta people. And they have that sort of like pure but sexual aesthetic of the 90s. And they're very devoted to their craft of songwriting. Mm. So mm, That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I... And what do you think about the dark moon Lilith, which people do like to ask about a lot? Ooh, yeah. I love the dark moon Lilith. I could probably write a whole like, book on the dark moon Lilith just by herself. And I think that's needed. I think we need more research on her. I don't lump her into the asteroid category because she is like a mathematical point, yeah. point I guess. And there, there is a Lilith asteroid and the two function ever so slightly differently, but Dark Moon Lilith is really, really important um, in a chart. She is, you know, obviously the the woman who wanted more and so got de literally demonized for it. And I've especially noticed transits to Lilith as important or Lilith transiting a chart. If you're having a moment in your life where you're like, this that was fine for me 20 minutes ago, no longer fine. I don't feel good about that. That makes me feel less than. 
that can be like a very Lilith transit thing. What is the orbit of transiting Lilith? How quickly does oh it, yeah does that it takes move? a it depends um but I think it takes about a year oh wow so it it's fast yeah 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 it takes a while you get a solid like couple months twelve months chunk right, right. to look at it don't quote me on that number I have to check but just having done it over the years it's it's roughly a year um and so it can be interesting also the interplay between like Jupiter transits which also take about a year and Lilith transit yeah. And they activate that desire for more satisfaction. Oh, so it's it's a year in a sign. Year in a sign. Yeah, yeah. Got and it. And so got it, got it. it'll take how long? Twelve years to get to twelve all years. The signs. Yeah. So it takes a while. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I definitely have not explored transiting dark moon Lilith at all. But you know, it, we had we had some new Aquarius energy coming through. So we do. We have everything in Aquarius next February. So. I think that one of the cool things about astrology is that it really is like if you find yourself getting starting to feel the monotony of the Mm -hmm. orbits, Mm -hmm. just fucking add some asteroids (laughs) and add some Arabic points like Mm -hmm. (laughs) switch your house calculation system, like change everything. And suddenly it's like, you well, now you know nothing again. You're, now you're back to square one. And for me, that's like just the most amazing thing about it. I love that about astrology. Like, you know, you never stop learning. I, I have done this for 10 years almost. And every single day, just yesterday, I, I got a Scrib subscription and I read like, I don't probably four books in one day, uh, just like inhaled them. And, you know, learned so many things about my chart that I I didn't know before. Maybe I knew them, but I didn't really internalize them. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, the chart, your birth chart is kind of like a flower. It's just like like a rose that just opens up and shows more and more beautiful petals all the time, no matter how long you do. That's so beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love that. (laughs) Well, Amelia, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Where can we find you? Yes, you can find me, um, me as a human being at uh, ameliaquint.com. And then on Twitter, I'm at ameliaquint. On Instagram, I'm at ameliaquint underscore because I couldn't get ameliaquint. And then for bad astrologers, you can go to patreon.com slash badastro for all the all the archives and the good stuff. And then Instagram and Twitter at badastrologers. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was delightful. I so appreciate it. Thanks for your good questions. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.